All right, I'll ask everybody to make their way back in, and you can make your way back to your seats, and we're going to continue. And if you do have your Bibles with you this morning or on your phone, while we're getting everyone back in, you can turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians and chapter 4, and we're going to be reading from that in a moment into chapter 5. So glad that you could be here this morning. Once again, welcome to Christ Central Church. My name is Joe Crummy, and I'm one of the leaders here. And in the last year or two, I've been transitioning my role to be involved more with our churches that we're helping with our church plants in different parts of Canada and also some of the other churches that we're helping with. And so it's always a privilege to be able to speak what I consider back home here in Fredericton. And in the last two weeks, two weekends ago, Gary, Barb, and I were in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, with Christ Community Church, helping serve there. And so they bring their greetings, and we had an excellent weekend with them and being with their leadership team and with their church on Sunday morning. And then last week I was in Prince Edward Island with our church in Charlottetown. And again, they send their greetings and their love, and so we're thankful that we can be partnering together with these various churches. And this week, you can be praying for me. I leave on Wednesday for England and for our yearly Christ Central Partnership meetings, and so I meet with different leaders in our family of churches from Mexico and Zambia and from England and different parts of the world. We get together uh, to be able to pray together, share updates, and people will be praying for our church here and for Canada, and we get to be able to um, be together and we do some teachings and different discussions as we work things out. And I also get to be a couple days in Sheffield with City Church, where Mark and Debbie and the Rushworths uh, originally came from, and where Gemma, who just talked about uh, Kids Club, is from. And so we've got a great partnership growing with that church. And so I'll bring your greetings to them, and I will give a report when I get back um, later in February. Well, just at, uh, by way of review, a couple weeks ago, I spoke on being filled with the Holy Spirit and the importance of when we become a follower of Jesus, we become a believer in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are not to go it alone in trying to follow Jesus. So with Brahman coming, just giving us that picture of following Jesus up the mountain and trusting him, he knows we can't do that on our own. So he gives us a helper, a teacher, a counselor, the Bible says, an advocate, the one who comes alongside, and that is the Spirit of God. God actually puts his Spirit to live in us as followers of Jesus. And that, folks, makes Christianity different from every other philosophy and religion on planet Earth, because God comes to dwell with his people. Praise God. And what we want to make sure as leaders of a church is that you don't miss out on understanding and knowing that and experiencing that incredible truth. And that's why we teach a lot about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I know some questions sometimes come out of that. That's all right. We want you to continue to receive because we need the Holy Spirit to live out the life God wants us to do. And we saw that the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that God loves us. And out of that security, that affects everyday life that we're going to see here in a moment. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be a witness for Jesus. So it's not just religious duty, it's an empowering to live a life that pleases God. And the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. There's a supernatural component to living the Christian life. And we want to discover and develop and to deploy those gifts for our good. That's exciting. And Brent spoke last week from the, God's word about obstacles to the gospel, and two of them being affliction, 
and just all the different suffering and pain and different things that we go through, but also the friction that comes sometimes that becomes an obstacle. And it's not a matter of when those things, or if they're going to happen, it's when they're going to happen, and how do we handle those things. And this morning, I want to pick up really on that friction part, and just as we talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit today, I want to talk about the importance of understanding that we can also grieve the Holy Spirit. And I spoke back in October and I shared some of our story of a church and how we got started and how important some of the things were to us in the early days that we value today. We value things like the Word of God. We value the Spirit of God. And one of the other things we value is relationships. We value relationship with God and we value relationships with one another. And as we're filled with God's Spirit, He places us in a family the church. And how many of you know family can be tough? D, thank you for your honesty in that. <laughs> so as a pastor many times over the years, I'm like, you know what? God puts us into a family, and the first reaction people have is like, but I hate my family. <laughs> Brutally, they're talking about their physical blood-related family, but the analogy or illustration of being put into God's family isn't a helpful one because they have a reaction to having such a negative family experience. And a lot of times that happens, we carry those things over into church life as well. And the Bible says that as a family of God, that another illustration Paul uses is we're a body with many parts. And as you know, because we're one body with many parts, sometimes we have friction amongst each other. We have doctrinal issues. We have philosophy issues. We have personality issues. We have misunderstandings. And as I was going back and reviewing over the past 20 years, some of the key messages that have stood out over time, one of them was on November 2nd, 2003, and the guys can attest that I found my, I keep notes, and everyone makes fun of me because I'm detailed, but I found my notes from that message on November 2nd, 2003, so only a few of you here probably today were actually in that meeting at our building on 487 Brunswick Street. And a guy named Joe Marcucci, who at the time was leading a church in New Hampshire in the States, came and spoke to us that weekend. In the er early days of our church, after a few years of ups and downs and finding our way, folks, I'll be honest with you, we had some very rocky times, which included a lot of relational issues because of theology differences, personality clashes, misunderstandings. And folks, it led to hurt, mistrust, offense, confusion, bitterness, and tension. So when people say, ah, oh, I just want the good old days, I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. It was brutal. So it was painful. It was a hard time, and we were quite a mess. And a lot of people left, and it was just, it was really tough. And it was not fun, and it hurt, and it was very painful. And poor Joe Marcucci didn't know a lot of this. We were just getting to know each other, and we invited him as we were building a relationship with our family of churches in the U.S. to come and speak. And I didn't ask him what to speak on. He just came, and I said, Joe, poof, I just trust you to hear from God and to know what to speak on. And his message that November 2nd, 2003, was from Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5. And the title of his sermon was this, Creating 
a welcome mat for the Holy Spirit. So I've actually got a prop here this morning to help us with this. And so Brent, I'm going to ask you to come. And if you can find out what's in this bag, you can pull it out for us. Isn't the excitement mounting? <laughs> he gets to be Vanna White for a moment. Oh, the big reveal. You ready? You've got to hold it up high. It's heavy, though. It's going to hang. Ta-da! In case you can't see that, and for those who are online, it is a nice, brand new welcome mat that we might have some contest to see who wins this afterwards. A welcome mat, and Joe Marcucci's message was this, creating a welcome mat for the Holy Spirit. So you got to bear with me because I, I can't, uh, I'm like Moses, my arms are going to get too tired holding that up, so I'm putting it down there, but you've seen that, okay? And Joe taught into how we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. So a lot of time we hear about, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we want to be empowered, which is all true. We don't always hear about that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. And it was a powerful teaching, and what followed that teaching was even more of a shocking response. And for those of you who were there that day, without Joe manipulating anything, when he was done, we didn't really know what to do. And this is what happened. We were a smaller group back then, but one by one, people began just to stand up, like we would right here, and people began to apologize for maybe something they said, or a wrong attitude, or an offense. And people began giving forgiveness, and people began giving encouragement, and people began speaking love to one another. And that probably went on for, goodness, 30 or 40 minutes. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. And God brought healing to this church family. And I believe our church moved forward in a different way from that day on. Folks, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. We want the power of the Holy Spirit. We want shriveled hands to go and be made well. Absolutely. But I'm telling you, it's just as much of a miracle for someone to forgive one another and to love and to move on. That is just as much a miracle with the help of the Holy Spirit. And today, as one of our foundations is relationships, we want to, yes, be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we also don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read from the same passage today that we did back then. So if you have your Bibles, and guys, you can put it up on the screen, please. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 17 through to verse 5 and 2. And so let me read this out together. So Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. And in this context, Gentiles just mean those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new 
and the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, create it to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So folks, today's message affects all of us, because in some way, we all have relationships in our lives. So this might be a bit more applicable or pointed towards us as a church family, but it also applies to marriage, family life, single, if you're at work, your sports teams, whatever sort of area of life you might be in, and obviously our relationship with one another. And the key verse, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. As I said, as a Christian, we're given the Holy Spirit as a helper, a teacher, a counselor, and the Holy Spirit seals, it authenticates, he marks a believer as belonging to God. So if you're a Christian, you're marked with the Holy Spirit, like you've been branded a Christian because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And Paul says you're sealed for the day of redemption. There's a final day coming when God makes all things new. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more tears, no more crying. Hallelujah, that day is coming. But (laughs) until that day, the Holy Spirit, who is a person, might add, he is a person, can be grieved. And the dictionary says this about the word grieve, to cause pain, to cause grief, to make unhappy, to produce sorrow. When we talk about grieving, we're talking about causing pain, grief, making unhappy, sorrow. And grieving the Holy Spirit in the context of relationships by treating one another not kindly. I mean, that's the bottom line. So sometimes we think our relationship with God, we can be all right, and we think that separated from our relationships with one another. And the Bible's saying our relationship with God is connected to our relationships with one another, and our relationships to one another is connected to our relationship with God. So we can't compartmentalize those. We're fooling ourselves if we think we can. So we say it over and over again. As a Christian, you can't be on your own. So we can go into self-protection mode and we can think, I've got my relationship with God, that's all I need. And I can, who needs anybody else? That is not how God has set things up. He puts us into a family, even if the family can be somewhat dysfunctional. He wants us to work towards health. And how we treat one another affects our relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
And Paul points out three ways that we can relate to one another that can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I think you've got them already, so I'm not going to spend much time on them. I'm just going to point them out, and then we're going to look at the antidote of what do we deal with these things. So if you take our welcome mat illustration, I'm going to take these as obstacles that represent three things that go on, I'm going to put on top of the welcome mat that blocks welcoming the Holy Spirit. So the first one, very simply, is actions. What we do affects the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, if you're stealing, guess what? That's part of grieving the Holy Spirit. If you're brawling, there's other actions that are listed there. He says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands. Why? So that he might have something to share with those in need. So when you steal, not only are you taking away what's not yours, and you're breaking one of the <laughs> commandments, you're taking something from that person that they might be able to use to do good and to give to others. And you're robbing others of the ability to give. I think I can convince you stealing is wrong. It grieves the Holy Spirit. That has to do with our actions. Second thing, we'll add another layer. It's a tough one to put a category on this one because I'm going to say emotions of anger, but I'm going to define that in a minute that not all anger is bad, but follow me on this. Emotions of anger that lead to bitterness, rage, malice. So the Bible's very real. The Bible's very real. It deals with everyday life. And our emotions, which in and of themselves are God-given, which are good, but sometimes when emotions get overwhelming, what do we do with them? Because the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. So it doesn't say don't get angry. It says, in your anger, do not sin. So it's possible to be angry and yet not sin. And I think if we looked at the life of Jesus, we could see in some instances it looked like he got pretty angry but he didn't sin. So there's boundaries that we need to put on our anger. And if anger is left unchecked, anger turns into rage. And what is rage? Definition from the from dictionary, violent anger. Rage spills over into action. And usually violence is involved. Anger left unchecked turns into malice. De dictionary definition, the desire to harm others. Yikes. So sometimes we hear that word malice, and you're kind of like, I've heard it. Well, what does it actually mean? It means this, the desire to harm others. So the Bible's saying if our anger is left unchecked, it can turn into rage, which could turn into violence, and this is where we get into plotting and desiring evil towards others and harm to others. And all of that, the Bible says, can lead to this, bitterness. And the Bible has a lot to say about bitterness. Because bitterness is not good. It always spills out into not good things. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 29, 18, when God was giving his commandments to his people, he says this, make sure there is no, no root among you that produces such bitter poison. And it's this illustration of a bitter root causing poison. And poison affects other people. And poison can kill other people. 
It gets even more specific in the New Testament. Hebrews 12, verse 15. The writer of Hebrews says this, See to it, now this is interesting, that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So again, anger unchecked can lead to rage and malice and it can lead to bitterness. And bitterness, the Bible says, is like a root that goes down and then it grows up and as it grows up, it affects other people, and it defiles. You know what? It slimes other people. Whether you know it or not. So that's a big one. And the Bible's very clear. See to it that no one allows a root of bitterness to grow up and to affect others and to defile others. It's a big deal. Bitterness, unforgiveness, grieves the Holy Spirit, and it affects others. And then the Bible says this. So this is not just a mental thing, it's a spiritual thing as well. Uncontrolled anger has a spiritual component because if we get into rage and malice and bitterness and unforgiveness, the Bible says this, it gives the devil a foothold. So it takes it, so some of these things you might learn in psychology, mental health, which definitely has a component to it, as a Christian, there's a spiritual component to it as well. If we let these things grow in our heart, guess what we're doing? We're not giving a welcome mat for the Holy Spirit. We're giving a welcome mat for the devil. And the Bible says we can give the devil a foothold in our lives. And folks, I can guarantee you this. The devil's not satisfied with a foothold. <laughs> He's going to work his way in. He wants the whole house. This is real life stuff here, folks, that affects everyday life. And sometimes in church life, we can like, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But if we don't deal with the grieving the Holy Spirit, you're leaking big time. <clears throat> you can be filled, but if you've got a root of bitterness and all these different things, you're actually grieving the Holy Spirit, and you can wonder why. I wonder why my relationships are messed up. We're going to come to some antidotes in a minute. I'm just pointing out these are the things that can grieve and block the Holy Spirit. The third thing. This one's a bit flatter. It doesn't mean it's not any less important. <laughs> Words. Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Put off falsehood. You know what put off falsehood means? It means stop lying. Slander. Dictionary definition. A false and malicious statement injurious to another person's reputation. I'm going to say that again. Your words, we can slander people, which is a false and malicious statement injurious to another person's reputation. We can say hurtful words that a lot of times have untruths or half-truths. And folks, in the world we live in, in our media and our social media and our blogs and the comment section on anything anyone puts. There's a lot of hurtful words being said. And there's a lot of slander. Good, it's fallen over. We're coming to the antidote. And if I can say it, um, just to give an example, we just thought of it this week. So Mark and reaching out and praying for our government this week reached out to the, the mayor, Michael Bryan, of our city, 
and just said, hey, we're going to be praying for the city this week. We're going to be praying for you. Is there anything we can pray for you for? And he replied, so we're going to share it so I don't feel it's inappropriate. And he gave some really good things to share for and then for us to pray for. And then he said this as his last thing. And he just said, basically, the summary, you can pray for my family, for my wife and my kids, that they're protected from all the hurtful things that are said about me. Didn't Mark, that, that's what he shared. Folks, that fits right into here. And I'm just going to say, we might disagree with our government on the muni municipal level, the provincial level, the federal level. And folks, we've got to be careful with our words. And we're going to come back. There's a right way to, a so we, we're not a doormat and people just walk over us. There's a right way to express and to bring sometimes, we've got to bring conflict because we disagree with things. There's a right way to do it. But please, 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 with our words, both spoken and in print, be very careful what we say and the attitude in which we say it. Our actions, our unchecked emotions, and our words can all hurt others and grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, Joe Marcucci, when he was with us, he made this statement, which I didn't fully understand, to be honest, when he made it. And he said this, we are to have a parental view of the Holy Spirit. He said we're to have a parental view of the Holy Spirit. Now, Joe, at that time, was a dad. He had six kids. And in November of 2003, Angela had one. And Micah was 11 months old, and he had no words yet. He had no siblings yet, so I had no completed parental view of life. <laughs> it was forming as a parent, but I didn't have a bigger picture. Joe Marcucci, with six kids, had a fuller understanding of parental life. <sighs> and what he meant by this is that now in 2018, Angela had four children, ages 15 to 8. And our parental view of our children is this. It hurts us when we see our kids fighting one another. It's frustrating. It is exhausting. <laughs> I'm not picking on Noah. Mm hmm And as a parent, when you see your kids fight, it hurts. And what you want to say to both of them is, you're my child, and I love you. And you're my child, and I love you. And I don't want to see you two fighting and hurting one another. Don't you know who you are? You're our children. You're brothers. You're a brother and sister. You're a family. You're to love one another. What a privilege to be in this family together. That's having a parental view. And what makes a parent most happy is seeing their children, siblings, sharing, serving, and preferring one another. Whew! Does your heart good. And that happens a lot in our household. To see our children loving one another. To see our children sharing with one another. To see our serving one another. 
preferring one another. As a parent, you're just like, your heart just swells. It's such a great feeling. And a parental view of the Holy Spirit is, I think God the Father looking at his children saying, it grieves me when I see my children fighting one another. Don't you know who you are? You're my son. I gave my son Jesus for you to purchase you and redeem you. Why would you treat your brother or sister in that way? And how it must swell God's heart (laughs) when he sees his children loving and serving and preferring one another. That's having a parental view of the Holy Spirit. Now this morning, just as we finish up, I want to give some specifics of how do we actually do that. Because hopefully by now you're saying, yes! But how? (laughs) That's always the catch, isn't it? Yes! I want to have a parental view of the Holy Spirit. But how do I actually do this? Well, I'm going to try to give you a few ways to actually help you and to equip you to live out preferring, loving, and serving one another. First of all, I'm just going to say this. As I used in that illustration with our kids, remember who you are. So Paul says this, don't continue to live like you did before you knew Jesus Christ. So don't go back to BC, before Christ. Before Christ, Paul says this, you were selfish regarding your emotions, your feelings, and your thinkings. Your hearts weren't connected to the life of God. Therefore, you chased after anything but God, and it didn't satisfy. You had a continual lust for more to fill this hunger. So before, when you didn't have a relationship with God, you went after everything. And it never satisfied, and you just found even more ways to try to fill that. But if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that affects our relationships with each other. And Paul says, now there's a truth that is in Jesus. Did you catch that phrase in Ephesians? Guys, can we just bring that up again? I think it's in the first part. He says, verse 21, Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. We believe there is a truth in Jesus that changes everything. And he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, goodbye old, and to put on the new self, Being a new creation is a gift from God, and it requires new thinking. He says this, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And how do you get made new in the attitude of your minds? We need to read the word of God. We need the spirit of truth to help us. And one of the biggest parts, we get weekly preaching and teaching in God's word that helps renew our minds. He says this, it's a choice. Put on the new self. It's a decision every day. It's a declaration saying, I am a new creation Create it to be like God and true righteousness and holiness, and it's true. So Noah doesn't have to get up every morning and say, I'm going to tell myself today I'm a child of Joe and Angela. If I just think it and believe it enough, it will become true. It's already true. So it's not just trying to manipulate your mind to think something in wishful thinking. No, you're declaring what's already true. So Noah can get up and say, I'm a child of Joe and Angela Crummins, because he's declaring what is true true. And folks, we need to take some action to declare what is true. And when you speak it out, your mind and your spirit and your emotions begin to line up with truth. But sometimes you got to speak it out. You got to talk to yourself. 
I know it's crazy, but you got to do it. In my words, actions, and all these things, I'm tempted to sin. Joe Crummy, I'm a child of God. I've been born again by the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ has purchased me with his blood. I'm a new creation. I throw off the old self, and I put on the new, and I clothe myself with new. And I'm not making up. It's true. This is who I really am. I'm a new creation in Christ. And therefore, I need to line up with this new creation. And I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, my new leader, and Holy Spirit, come and fill me so I can live a life that pleases God. And here are some specifics of how we do that. My point being, all throughout Ephesians, Paul's saying this. This is who you are. Now that you know who you are, be who you are. He always deals with who you are first and then come the action. Here's the specifics of knowing who you are in Christ, therefore be who you are. So I'm going to throw off the first thing off of our welcome mat. Actions. We need to replace our negative sinful actions with positive godly action. So Paul says this, go from stealing to working. He doesn't say, stop stealing. He says, stop stealing and work. He replaces the negative with the positive. And folks, can I just say this? Sometimes you might be sitting here this morning, you might be like, I don't steal. Well, think about this. Stealing takes on a lot of different forms. So I'm going to just throw a few things at you to make sure that we all kind of feel included, okay? <laughs> we can steal from government with our taxes and how we report things, and we can cheat with our finances, and we can do all that, and we don't even think we're stealing. At business or work, if we're lazy and we don't work very well and we just put in the minimum effort, you know what? We're actually stealing from our employer. Sometimes we steal money. Sometimes we steal tools. Sometimes we're absent from things. Folks, that's all different ways of stealing. So I feel like sometimes we talk about stealing, we're like, well, I don't steal. I don't, I've never stolen a car. Like, we exclude ourselves from thinking, folks, there's all kinds of different ways. And Paul says this, work. Because work is part of the creation mandate. We go all the way back. God said to Adam and Eve, go and steward and take care and work my creation for God's glory. So what's your perspective on work? Perspective on work is, I'm not just doing it for government. I'm not just doing it for my boss. I'm doing it for the glory of God because that's really who you're working for. Do you see how the perspective changes? This is who you are. You're God's creation. You're created to do good works for God. So he gets the glory. So no matter what you're in, now, and hear me, I know some of you aren't able to work, and I'm not railing you. If you can't work, you understand what I'm saying. We don't steal. We're to work instead. And the result by working is this. You will be able to provide for yourself, and you'll be able to share. You see how Paul puts that in there? Stop stealing. Work so that you may be able to give to others. That's a welcome map for the Holy Spirit, is generosity. God is generous, and we want to be a generous people. And part of working is not just acquiring stuff and possessions for us. Part of working is being able to then share and give to others. It's a whole different perspective on working. 
That is removing a barrier from the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Second, I'm going to spend more time on this one. Uncontrolled emotions, especially anger. So there's lots of other emotions. I'm just going to focus on anger on this one. As I said before, anger can be used for good. Sometimes we get angry about things because we see injustice and it helps us to be motivated to bring justice. So that, that's a good thing. Sometimes anger can turn bad when we want to seek and we plot revenge on somebody who maybe has hurt us. And as I said before, we, we need to put boundaries on our anger so that our anger is not unleashed with chaos, but a resolution, our anger is channeled in a healthy way. So here are some things I'm going to give you. Our, first of all, I'm going to describe a couple different people. Here are some things we might learn to help us because they're difficult. So some of us are wired like this. I'm going to call, I'm just making this up, a stuffer. And what I mean by that is sometimes we stuff the anger inside of us. So sometimes anger is not helpfully expressed, and these emotions are stuffed inside, and they can get internalized. And the results are this. We can feel very stressed out, a lot of time with physical issues. We have headaches, high blood pressure, ulcers, and sometimes when we internalize things and we don't let it out in a healthy way, anger festers and it grows, and it leads to hate, unforgiveness, bitterness. And as I said, it, you're either going to blow up sometime or it's going to cripple you. So uh, seriously, folks, like people have heart attacks because they have so much anger inside and they've never let it out. It internalizes in them and it's going to come out and it cripples them. Or people go ballistic sometimes. You're like, what in the world <laughs> was that? And in the States, that's what happened a lot of times. The first time it happened, do you remember the post office and the term going postal came from that? An enraged postal worker went and ballistic and killed people at his workplace. And the phrase going postal came out of that. So I've heard people say, man, somebody went postal at work today. It's not a helpful phrase. It's not a good phrase. What they mean is somebody blew up. And a lot of times when they blow up, it has nothing to do with, it's out of proportion to what the circumstance. That's years of anger ready to explode. Now, we also have this. We have punchers. We've got stuffers. I'm going to stuff it all in. And we've got people, there's no stuffing going on. They're just swinging haymakers all the time. <laughs> they have no problem expressing their anger. It's not held in. It's immediately expressed. And people lash out. They punch. They kick. They swear. They shout. It's full of sarcasm. And it usually ends in violence. And Paul has two warnings. In your anger, do not sin. And he says this. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. There's a lesson right here. And here's one of my practical things. I'm going to give you some, hopefully, tools to help you deal with some of these things. First, the principle of the immediate response. So if you're taking notes, the principle of the immediate response. What does that mean? We need to deal with issues at the beginning versus letting issues boil and fester. We have to deal with issues at the beginning versus letting issues boil and fester. Now, here's my parentheses, okay? We need to have wisdom to know the difference between a major issue and a minor issue. So you might want to ask yourself this question. Is the issue I'm dealing with really that important? 
Is it going to be that important five weeks from now, five months from now, five years from now? You might want to just give yourself a little self-check that if you're ready to go ballistic about something, you might just want to simmer down and say, is this really a major issue or is it a minor issue? And folks, a lot of times, guess what? They're minor issues. And I'll give you some other ways to handle that. There are different ways this immediate response gets worked out. So here are some real-life principle things you can do. So if you're saying, okay, Joe, yes, but how? Here's some of the hows. They're going to sound cliche. They're not. They're true. First one, and the answer is always C, go to Jesus. It is. Go to God. Vent. Plead. Be honest with God. Say, God, help me. God, that wasn't fair. God, I'm upset. God, I'm angry. God, I'm really ticked off at this person. God, you got to do something. God, there's an injustice. God, help me. God, what do I do? Who are you going to first? God. The Bible's example after example, read the Psalms of going to God first. So before you vent online, before you vent to others, before you vent wherever, you vent to God. And a lot of times, guess what? You've dealt with the problem. So you're not stuffing it in. You're not punching out to others. You need to get alone with God, and you need to be honest with God. And you've got to say, God, this really hurts. God, is this a major issue or a minor issue? God, I need your wisdom. God, I need your discernment. God, I need your direction. God, I need your healing. God, I need a hug. Because <laughs> I'm hurt. A healthy outlet is going to God first. Second, we go to a safe friend or maybe a safe couple of friends in the right context that we know aren't going to gossip and aren't going to fuel the fire. You can vent. You can get some counsel and wisdom. You can get some support. You can get some prayer. Because by venting in a safe place, you're allowing an outlet so that you're not going to gossip or let things turn into bitterness and unforgiveness. But you've got to choose your friends wisely and how you're going to do this. And friends, if you're listening, you've got to be able to handle it and say, I'm just here, I'm a conduit, God, it's really you. And you can't take offense if they share things about other people and stuff like that. You've got to be able to say, I'm just a sounding board, go deal with it. And then I'm not going to take those things on. That's hard, but we have to learn how to do these things, folks. Third thing is sometimes we have to deal with it. And that takes on a lot of different forms, but sometimes you have to confront someone. Because maybe what they did was wrong, or maybe they're doing something that is wrong. And in love, confronting is the right thing and the righteous and godly way to do it. But folks, we have to prepare ourselves. We have to come with grace. We have to be truthful, clear, humble, and with courage. And a lot of times when we confront things, you know what it does? It actually brings help to our church family in the right way. Because what does it do? It decreases gossip, first of all. So a lot of times, we have issues between people, and sometimes one person will talk to everybody else except for the one person they really need to talk to. And that's the person they have an issue with. And it takes courage, and it's hard. But it's the right thing to do. That's a whole other message, but we'll help you with that. And the last thing on this one is a lot of times 
this is what we really need to do. Even if we confront people, even if we go to God, even if we go to a friend, most of the time it comes down to this, and this is why it's such a big topic in the Bible. We need to forgive people. There's no way around it. We need to forgive people, which is a very difficult thing to do. And that's why when I said, remember who you are, that's where we start with. Do you remember who you are? You are, as a Christian, a forgiven person. <laughs> so Paul can say this, forgive as in Christ, God has forgiven you and me. That's the perspective. So when we come and we say, but you don't know what the person did to me, you don't know how much they hurt me, you're like, okay, no. And we can go through all our excuses. I'm really glad at the end of the day, God didn't do that for us. I'm glad the Father didn't say to Jesus, that covers a lot of people, but you don't know what this person did to me and how they hurt me and how they disappointed me and how they slandered me and how they gossiped how they stabbed me in the back, and how they betrayed me, and we can go through all the different things. If God had that, as his, and he was just, and said, we'd be in trouble. But Jesus took on him all of our sins, and all of our hurts, and all the wrongs done to us, and he paid the price. So there was justice served. In God's court of law, justice was served. The price was paid in Jesus Christ. And our forgiveness is found in Jesus. That's what we're singing about here this morning. Amazing grace that God saved a wretch like me who disappointed God and failed God and betrayed God. And yet in Jesus Christ, I'm forgiven. Even though I don't deserve it, even though someone else paid the price, I receive that and I receive God's forgiveness and I receive that I have a clean slate with God. Folks, from that point, that's what Paul's saying. Because you've been forgiven, you can forgive. So before I'm going to go any further on forgiveness, I'm going to say, have you received God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, it's really hard to then go on to part B, and that's to forgive others. So if you haven't received God's forgiveness, it's really hard to give it away. It's hard enough even when you've received it. <laughs> and a couple things about forgiveness. Remember, forgiveness is a choice, it's a decision, it's not a feeling. So if you wait for the feelings to come to forgive, you might never get there. It's a choice, it's a decision. For forgiveness doesn't mean the wrong done to you was right. So a lot of people get that mixed up on forgiveness. If I forgive them, that means then what they did was okay. No, it wasn't. So I've used it before with our kids growing up. Our kids would hurt one another, and we'd say, you need to ask for forgiveness. And the other kid would say, no, it's okay. No. Nope. What they did was not okay. So when you forgive someone, you're not saying what they did against you was okay. Do you see the difference? You're still choosing to forgive, and that person's still accountable to God. So you might let them off your hook. They still have to deal with God on that. But we're going to trust that with God. Boundaries still might need to be put in place. So sometimes we can forgive people, but we might not be able to hang out with them for a number of reasons. There's a difference between that. So we see this a lot when people get abused. You can forgive. It doesn't mean you need to then go be back with the abuser. You can put healthy boundaries in place. So you can forgive, but it doesn't mean you just go back to normal. You, know, you might have to put some other things in place. Do you see what I'm talking about forgiveness? 
It doesn't mean all these other things. Last thing, people say a lot of this, forgive and forget. It's not biblical. Your memories might never go away of how you were hurt, but the power those memories have over you can lessen and lessen and lessen. That's a biggie, right? You receive freedom when you forgive. And it's another big obstacle and baggage off the welcome mat for the Holy Spirit to come and work in your life. Third thing, words. We're closing with this. Paul says again, remember who you are. Verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. We are all members of one body. Paul's basically saying this, stop wearing a disguise. We must be honest and stop lying to one another, which requires vulnerability. Now again, some of you might be saying, I don't lie to people. <laughs> Just to help you feel included. How many times do we say this? Someone says to you, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> no, you're not. No, it's okay, I'm good. You're a terrible liar. You're not good. Our words betray what's really going on. And Paul says this. Now, in the right context, you've got to put off falsehood. And you've got to speak truthfully to one another. Now, I'm not saying that you've got to have some self-awareness with this, okay? There's a time and a place to share, and there's a context. But maybe at life group, it's a good place to say, guys, I'm really struggling. Or maybe one-on-one -on -one with somebody with that group of two or three. You need some friends. You need to be in a body and a family. But somewhere you need a context where you can put off falsehood and not wear a disguise and be honest with one another. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is a very fascinating one to me. You can say, okay, don't let anyone help, but again, it's replaced. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do you think in our culture, most people are actually concerned about what the other person's needs are <laughs> when they're speaking? Nope. So Paul's saying, slow down. And he's saying this. Only say what is helpful to build others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So you've got to stop and you've got to say, you know what? I need to observe and get over myself and listen and ask, what do other people need? Because other people might need encouragement versus discouragement. <laughs> and we need to say words that are going to bring courage. Sometimes people need truth versus lies. So I talk to a lot of people. I feel ashamed. I feel, and they're believing lies. And we need to speak truth that builds them up and it's going to benefit them who are listening. Sometimes people just need love. Be kind and compassionate. People need hope versus despair. Thanksgiving versus complaining. We need to observe, listen, ask, and serve. And here's two key things. If keep these always before you. Two key things to what you say. What you say and how you say it. Sounds so simplistic, doesn't it? What's the content of what you're going to say? Is it true? Is it clear? Is it helpful? 
what are you going to say? And the second thing, how you say it is just as important as what you're saying. So the tone of our voice, the body language, the attitude in which it's said. We need to get both. We need to work on both. We need to work on the content of what we say and how we say it. And that goes for marriages, that goes for parenting, that goes for employer, employee, coach, teacher, student, each other. Sorry, that was my third. Words. Get the baggage off of the welcome mat for the Holy Spirit. And in summary, we want to put out the welcome mat individually. I want to put out the welcome mat and say, Holy Spirit, I want you welcome in my life. And I want you to lead my life. As a church, we want to put out a welcome mat for the Holy Spirit. That we can say, as a church, we want to be led by the Spirit of God. But folks, with that parental view, we have a responsibility in that. It's how we treat one another. With our actions, with our emotions, and with our words. And in closing, I'm just going to ask us that today, even right now, probably more this week, is we need to take an assessment of our lives and we got to ask ourselves, is there any baggage that's blocking the welcome mat for the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our church, in our marriages, in our family, in our workplace, school, and I encourage all of us, the antidote always starts with Jesus, that we come to Jesus. We might need to come to Jesus to receive his forgiveness. We need to come to Jesus sometimes just to vent. We need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me have courage to maybe go and see this person. Maybe you need to confront someone. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Someone That's courageous as well. And I know what I was already going to speak on, so I've already got a very biased view of Bronwyn's picture of following Jesus up the mountain to the cliff and to the preface of stepping off and being courageous. I'm going to say for some of us, I think that's putting some of these things into action. So being courageous on that cliff is forgiving someone and letting go and getting rid of bitterness. Some of us, it's going to change how we talk. So sarcasm and putting people down has to change. And that's going to be courageous and saying, God, I don't want any unwholesome talk coming out of my mouth, but only that that's going to benefit those and their needs for those who are listening. Folks, those are courageous things. These are not minor things I'm talking about this morning. These are major things. Our actions, our unchecked emotions, and our words can either be baggage or a welcome mat. And folks, we want to welcome Matt to the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to hand things back over to these guys as what to do next. Can I just say a short prayer asking for God's help in this? Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a good father. And we thank you that you save us through Jesus Christ and you put us into your family. And I just ask this morning that you would help us have a parental view of our relationship with you and the Holy Spirit. And I pray that for every person here this morning, myself included, that you would help us to deal with any baggage that might be blocking or grieving the Holy Spirit. And I pray that today, even right now, in this week, you would help us 
with our actions and with our emotions and with our words to be a welcome mat for the Holy Spirit personally and together as a church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, everyone.